first one is from Romans 3, verses 23 to 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then turn your page most likely to Romans 5, verses 6 through 9. For while we were still weak at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And then finally, um, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I want to welcome you again. Uh, my name is Gray, uh, the pastor here, and if we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you. Uh, but so glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for coming into a new environment. If this is your first time visiting us, so hard to come into a new church, and so we appreciate that. We're in our second week in a series called The Cross, and if you open up the New Testament in the Bible to any page, you're likely to see something about the cross, and it's something that we talk about a lot, something we sing about a lot. We've never actually slowed down and looked at it in particular, and so for the last, um, for last week and the, the coming weeks, we're going to be looking more in depth at what the cross of Christ is, and today we're looking at perhaps the most essential message that we're told in the scriptures about the cross, that the cross saves sinners. This is a little bit of old school uh, preaching you'll get this morning. The cross, what it does is it saves sinners, something that the scriptures say over and over again. Before we dive in, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you have saved sinners. The old time religion, the old gospel message is still rings true. It's still the message that this world needs. It's still the balm that those of us who are coming in struggling today, which is all of us, need the most. And so we pray that we would lift high the cross, that we would honor the name of Jesus for what he has done for us on the cross this morning, and we ask for your Spirit's help in the name of Jesus. Amen. When my wife and I were uh, first married, we were married in Lincoln, Nebraska. We were, I was finishing up school there. And um, we lived in this, our first house together was this tiny little 
uh, cute rental uh, house that we had. It was so tiny, but it was two stories. It was like 800 square feet, but it looked like a gingerbread house. I mean, if you think about a gingerbread house, that's exactly what it looked like, and really no bigger than that. Uh, and with, you know, it was tiny. It was yellow, uh, so we, we named it Mini Mustard. Um, and, uh, and so that was our, our special little spot that we moved into. It had really three stories. It had a basement, it had a main level, and uh, upstairs, even though it was so tiny. And we, we moved in our stuff, we put everything out. We had a number of boxes left over after we moved in, and so we put them into the basement and didn't really think much about it. But after we'd been there for a month or two, there was a heavy rainstorm. And after a while, we started to smell something. Like, it smells like water. Uh, smells, something smells wet or musty. So we opened up the basement door, and we walked down, and we saw that there was standing water in the basement. And all of our stuff had been ruined that was sitting in these boxes on the floor. So I called up the landlord just in a, you know, in a state of emergency a little bit, and I said, I'm so sorry. Uh, I have to tell you this bad news. There is a massive leak in the basement. There's water down there. And there was silence on the line. And then I got this answer. Oh, really? A little water got in again? It's like, there's two key words in that statement I want to highlight. A little? No. I'm sorry to have to tell you this. There's standing water in the basement. There's water down there right now. And what do you mean again? This has happened before? And so it went on like this. I kept saying what it was like, and the landlord kept minimizing what, what it actually was. That's one way to deal with a serious problem, is to act like it's not that much of a problem. If we just minimize the problem, then maybe it will go away. They were sweet people. I just think they didn't want to deal with it. If you can't minimize the problem completely, another strategy to get rid of a problem is to make the problem more manageable. As I was talking to them on the phone, uh, this lady who I was talking to said to me, I thought you were calling about the mark above the sink. Uh, when, they, when we had moved in, they'd put in a new pedestal sink and in putting it in, they knocked a little hole in the wall uh, right above the sink. And and, um, and she said to me, I thought, you know, we could stop by and fix that for you. And I said, thank you, but there's water in the basement, you know. Uh, thank you for offering that, but that, that's not really the problem. Another way that we can deal with serious problems is to try to make them more manageable. This is human nature. We want to keep things in our depth so that there's the possibility that we could solve it. If the problem is within our management ability, then we can fix it. Today, as I mentioned, this is kind of some old school preaching because we're going to talk about the absolutely unmanageable problem of our sin. This is what the Scripture says is our chief problem, that we need salvation from sin. And if we look at sin and we minimize the problem or we say that the problem 
uh, is, it may be a problem, but there's other problems as well, or we, we try to make it more manageable, we will miss the beauty of the solution. Here's what I want us to see today. Our sin problem is not manageable, so our solution must be found in the depths of divine grace accomplished on the cross. The cross saves sinners. Our sin problem is not manageable for us to take care of. Therefore, any solution must be found in the depths of divine grace. And so we don't want to minimize the problem so that we are in danger of missing the solution. Now, a bit of a qualification before we dive in. Ten years ago, I probably would have plowed right into this message and talked about all these things that we're going to talk about, which are hard things to talk about. Guilt, shame, the wrath of God. I know I'm more conscious more than ever that, that many people, it reminds you of something when we say those words. It's a, a teacher or a parent or a church that you went to where the guilt and the shame and the maybe the pathological feeling of unworthiness was the norm for you. Feel like when I was there, I felt like I was just a worm. I felt like I was just a spot on God's boot heel that he was about to crush, but not decided not to. And so thank God for that. And there's a kind of feeling that comes with when we talk about some of these things that can be unnerving for us. And perhaps you've been to a church or maybe you've read a, a tract, like a gospel tract, that made you feel extremely unworthy and, and that you are a sinner and that you're uh, worthy of hell and all these things that might be written there. And, and some of you who have been around church, you might say, well, some of those realities are true, but that's, that's, those statements still make me feel something. And I'm not sure exactly what it is that I'm feeling. There's something wrong about it. Let me try to put words to what may be wrong about that, perhaps in your experience. Often what those tracks do, and maybe what churches do, is they start with this as the primary principle. If you look at point number one on a tract, it's, also, it's often, you are a sinner, which is true enough. We're going to talk about that this morning. But it's not actually where the Bible starts. The Bible starts with, you were created beautiful, good, right with God, His glorious creation. And that's where we often, what we often skip is that, and so when we're feeling this, this weight, sometimes it's because we put things out of order. Francis Schaeffer, a great thinker, writer, preacher from a generation ago said that we were, this is a great phrase, Glorious ruins. That's what humanity is. Glorious ruins. Have you ever seen the ruins of something? Maybe you've seen a statue that's old and you can tell, or the pyramids, or something like that. There's something glorious. You can see the outline of its glory, but it's, but it's, it's faded. It's broken. That's what humanity is like, Schaefer said. We were created in God's image. There is the outline, not just of okayness, the outline of glory, crowned 
with glory and honor, Psalm 8 says, made for a little while lower than the angels, humanity is God's special creation. And so we are worthy of honor and dignity, but we are also ruined. And we've got to be honest about that. We've got to not minimize what has been ruined. I want to face those things this morning very briefly. Let's look at three problems, three ugly problems. And then there's an ugly solution. It's called the cross of Christ that leads to the beautiful solutions of God's divine grace. So we're going to look at three problems that we experience and then at the solutions, the three solutions of divine grace. All three things will be words that are found here in these scripture passages. They're theological terms, but they're also biblical terms. I want to teach you what they mean so that we can reflect on what the beauty of the gospel is in the cross. Problem number one, the righteous wrath of God. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that God's wrath, righteous wrath is a problem. I mean that we perceive it and we experience it as a problem. This is what the Bible says, that God has a righteous wrath. Hard words, we do not like the, that word, but it is a biblical word. We just read about it. Romans 5, verse 9, in your bulletin there. Since therefore we have now been justified in his blood, by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Or Ephesians 2, verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. These are only a couple of the places in the scripture that use this word, the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is his retributive justice. It is his righteous condemnation of those who are opposed to him. And that's a problem for us because we're just told in Ephesians 2 that by nature we are opposed to God. We are worthy of his wrath. What's the solution? What is the divine solution? We're told in this passage that the solution of divine grace is the first word that I want us to learn together, propitiation. Propitiation. Verse 23, we'll start with uh, verse 23 in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What is God's solution to the problem that we are by nature children of wrath and have sinned against him, therefore deserving his wrath? It's this word propitiation. What does the word mean? It means a satisfaction of divine wrath by a blood sacrifice. The satisfaction of divine wrath by a sacrifice. It is an appeasing sacrifice. And that is what God did on the cross of Christ. He satisfied divine wrath. We often sing, as many churches do, in Christ alone, the song. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God 
was satisfied. That is what propitiation is. Now, I know that that sounds, um, especially in our culture, we talked about this a little bit last week, it sounds like foolishness. The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I know that it sounds, even for those of us who trust in Him, somewhat ritualistic, maybe even pagan, to say that there needs to be a divine sacrifice to God, a pouring out, a a gift that seems like something that would be maybe in the Old Testament, that seems like something that would be Canaanite or Egyptian or something like that, where we give a sacrifice that seems ugly, that seems backwards, but maybe even pagan. I would say to us, though, that it's actually the opposite of paganism. Because what paganism did is demand that humans sacrifice themselves, their time, their money, their crops, their children. And God has never required us to be sacrificed on our own behalf. This is a solution of divine grace. God Himself propitiated Himself. That's the gospel. That's the solution. When we have the sin problem, He solves the sin problem by taking it on Himself in His Son, Jesus. So the first problem is the righteous wrath of God, and the solution is propitiation, which God does Himself. Let's move quickly. Problem number two, an unpayable debt. Sin is described many ways in the Scripture. One of the most frequent ways that it's described is that it is a debt that we owe to God. When we sin, we take on something that does not belong to us. When Jesus taught us to pray, remember He says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors because sin creates debt. Remember Jesus told another story about two debtors and two creditors. This is in Matthew chapter 18. It's often called the parable of the unforgiving servant where we had one creditor who was owed 10,000 talents, an unspeakable sum. And when this debtor couldn't pay, he fell to his knees and he cried out for grace from the creditor. And the creditor gave him that grace. He forgave him his debt and sent him on his way. But then the other, this same servant who was owed not 10,000 talents, but only 100 denarii from someone else, a much smaller sum, he refused to forgive this debt. And then he gets thrown into prison because he is not forgiven Once he has not forgiven others the way that he has been forgiven. The point of the story is that we need to forgive our brothers and sisters who who have created a debt with us, but it's also to show us the great debt, the 10,000 talent debt that we owe to God. We have an unpayable debt, but there is a solution of divine grace. It's the second word. Redemption. Redemption. We read it already, verse 24 of chapter 3, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does the word redemption mean? 
Redemption means buying back something that was once owned, something that has been lost. Another word very much related to it is the word ransom. Freely paying to get back what was once lost. And we're told that on the cross of Christ, that is exactly what Jesus came to do. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. How did He do that? Ephesians 1, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It is redemption through blood. The blood of Christ on the cross was effective. And Colossians chapter 2 tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us. It's hard to hear these concepts that we deserve the righteous wrath of God, that we owe God a debt that we could never pay. But do you see, we don't want the manageable problem. If we tried to reduce the debt, it wouldn't change the fact that we couldn't pay it. But if we go to the divine solution and we see that it's in Christ that we have redemption, then we see Our problem is resolved in the cross of Christ. Problem number three, the legal guilt. Another way that the scriptures talk about sin is in legal terms, meaning imagine a courtroom, a divine courtroom, where there is a judge, a righteous judge. Look at the book of Romans. Look at the book of Galatians, filled with, with legal language. And there is a word that is held over us, condemnation. Which is to say, we are deserving of this legal guilt. But there is a solution of divine grace. And it's found in the word, in a couple of these passages, justification. Justification. Look with me at verse 9 of chapter 5 of Romans. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Verse 24 of Romans 3, and we are justified by His grace as a gift. What does justified mean? It means that we are declared legally righteous. The guilt that is appropriately placed on us is removed legally. We are declared righteous. It's not included here, but in Romans 5, we just look down a little further past where the verses are that are in the bulletin. Romans 5.18 says this very succinctly, therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam's trespass, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. The one act of Adam is reversed by the one act of Christ. What is the one act? It is the cross of Christ, which justifies us. 
Now, as we mentioned these three things and taking the hard look, not minimizing the problem, these are all things that are found many places in Scripture. There is a trap, as I mentioned before, that we can fall into where we really, we hear these words, guilt, wrath, debt, shame, anger of God, and we start to believe that perhaps he's a bully in some kind of way, that he is holding something over us. But if we look at the Scriptures, we see a completely different way of looking at it. That is one way to see it, but that's not what the Scriptures say. What I look, when I read these passages, what I see is, number one, His willingness. When we look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was for our sake that Christ, that God did this in Christ. His willingness, also his timing. Look at Romans 5, right there, the middle passage in your bulletin. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His timing. God did not wait until we were cleaned up, until we were ready to be received by him. He actually saved us at the very moment when we were rebelling against him. We all know Just how hard it is to be gracious to someone who is yelling at us or who is not listening to us or who is spitting at us or is rolling their eyes at us or who is walking away from us, whatever it might be, a rejection. If you try to talk to someone when they're rejecting you, you know how angry that can make us. And take our experience, Romans 5 tells us, and multiply it by a factor of magnitude that we cannot comprehend because this is the creator, good God, looking at his clay, his dirt, his creation that he has made. And in, even in that, he didn't walk away from us while we were sinning against him. It was actually at that very moment when he displayed his gracious intent, his willingness, his timing, and his patience. Look at verse 25 of Romans 3, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Divine forbearance. God was patient. He's patient then. He is patient now. 2 Peter, verse 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is God's character. His patience. His forbearance. His timing. And His willingness. 
All of it is by divine grace, by his initiation. And the cross is so satisfying and so beautiful and so needed for us precisely because God has done this himself. Look how Romans 3.26 says, says it. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is what makes the cross unique, beautiful, and satisfying because God is both just and the justifier at the same time. What does that mean? God must be just. I will add additionally that you also want him to be just. You want him to punish sin. If you've ever felt that it's wrong that a criminal would go free because of a legal technicality, you know why justice matters. If you know that there's something wrong with the following statement, Adolf Hitler, he made some mistakes, but we all make mistakes. What's wrong? It doesn't deal with the scale. There's something deep inside of us that knows that God must be just and we actually want Him to punish evil. He hasn't neglected the leaking basement. I don't know how many mustard is doing. Our house, our first house, maybe they fixed it. We only lived there for a year, uh, mostly because our stuff smelled like water after a few months, right? But it can't go on forever. Let's assume it isn't fixed. It can't go on forever. Eventually, the foundation will become unstable. Eventually, the water in the basement will corrode the wood and or upstairs, and the house will fall apart. There can be patience. There can be forbearance. There can maybe even be years of, of that. But it can't be forever because it's destructive. The wrong must be addressed. So we know that God must be just. He can forbear. He can be patient. That is in His character. But He also must be just. He must deal with the problem. But God didn't just want to be just. He didn't just want to be just. He also wanted to be the justifier. He not only wanted and needed to satisfy His holiness, He also wanted to restore His people. He wanted to be just, but He also wanted us to be made right with Him. And so, in the Gospel we learn this. You can't minimize the problem without losing justice. But you can't demand a solution from sinners without losing the sinners. Let me say that again. You can't minimize the problem that is sin without losing justice. And you can't demand a solution from the sinners without losing the sinners. Because they are unable. We are unable 
the answer is the cross. The most satisfying and beautiful possible solution in God's beautiful design to turn the wrath upon himself, to pay the debt for himself. and to declare us righteous by condemning his son, taking on the legal guilt, the great exchange. Him who knew no sin became sin so that we, who by definition are sin, would become the righteousness of God. The cross saves sinners. It's an old message. It's still the most relevant message. What do we do with it? Well, we take our sin today and we don't minimize our problems. Let's not do that. Let's stop acting like we can handle the problem of sin. It's time to look at it for what it is both my own sin and the sin that exists in the world. Let's not ignore that, the sin that we've been sinned against. And we look it face on. We look at the problem. It might mean that we are apologizing to someone. It might mean that we are repenting, as we've already done in the service. It might mean that we need to journal our honest thoughts before the Lord and show Him our life as He's already seeing it. It might look like any number of those things. It might look like ugly crying. It might look like facing an addiction. It might look like coming clean to someone that you've wronged. But whatever it is, as we face the problem, Because it's a problem. It doesn't go away. But then we throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ. And what that looks like is every day is a prayer, something like this. Teach me to depend on divine grace. It's not actually solved by us. It is solved by God himself. We look at what all has been accomplished for us. And we ask God to teach me to live like my debts have been paid. Teach me to live like my sin has been forgiven. Teach me not to be fearful of your wrath, but to know that it has been satisfied in your son, Jesus. Show me that I am justified, that I no longer have to feel guilty because I have been cleared from guilt because of the cross of Christ. The cross saves sinners. Let's pray.